Welcome to this episode of Meet the Entrepreneurs. I'm Jackie Cameron, and with me today is South African entrepreneur Zach Callisto, the founder of CarTrack and Carew, which has thousands of employees across the rapidly expanding global organization that Mr. Callisto founded from scratch in South Africa. The tech business, which has its roots in tracking stolen cars, recently listed on the NASDAQ to appeal to the global investment community. Callisto shares insights into how to build and scale a business as well as what makes him tick. I think uh, we're very content uh, with our listing on uh, the NASDAQ. So we were able to raise 500 million rand which is sufficient funding for us in terms of our growth and our R&D spend, the amount of capital we want to allocate now to accelerated growth. So we were growing at in the region of about 22% pre-IPO or rather pre-COVID. In COVID, we grew at 16%. And I certainly believe we're going to accelerate our growth. And if we look at the last six months of this financial year, we actually grew already at 23% year on year, which is faster, far, a stronger growth than we had pre-COVID. And um, so that's, uh, I think, it's for us important that we now can tap into the capital markets that understand our story. And we believe we'll get a fair evaluation and uh, for which is, in my opinion, uh, uh, very important for all the shareholders. What was your strategy to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic looking better? Well, I think, you know, we've invested over the years uh, with in a lot of technology, not only customer-facing technology, but also technology the way we operate the business internally. And... Um, Clearly, that allowed us to come out of the COVID a bit quicker than our peers. And uh, because we were able to work remotely with all proprietary software, and we're able to monitor the performance of all our staff, we're able to service our customers um, under under conditions. And I certainly believe we've adapted, and uh, we will now continue to try to accelerate our growth and to and to deliver uh, to deliver a good performance to our shareholders and to deliver good service to our customers. Mr. Callisto, please tell us a bit about your business journey. I believe that you dropped out of university. Yes, I did. Um, I went to WITS. I studied actuarial science. And uh, I'm a dropout. Why did you drop out? Why did I drop out? I, I found it quite boring. I think, you know, we had a very small class of actuarial science. And at that point in time, I really found that I wasn't a fit, you know, for with my other colleagues, with the with the professors. And, you know, I decided to go do my military service. And once I came out of the military service, I did the accelerated training program with Standard Bank. And then I decided to go into business. Some of these things, it's not it's not that one plans it, it's just the way it is. So I, th- I just thought I wasn't cut out to be an actuary. And what was the turning point for you with your business plan? How, how did you get the idea to use technology the way you have used it? Well, uh, I initially started as a distributor uh, working for myself and doing a lot of the distribution for one of our peers today, which is NetStar. And uh, I assisted NetStar in going over the borders. Uh, so I come with a track record in the industry since 1994. 
this is even before Ultra on board Netstar. And then uh, our innovative technology, which is a contract technology, and brought it to the market in 2004. And since then, we've had a tremendous amount of innovation. We've grown our management team. We're now over 3,000 staff members. And, uh, you know, we've, we've evolved as a business. What we were in 2004 is very different to what we're doing today. And uh, we'll continue uh, to grow our business. And, but I think fundamentally, I believe we're just a startup. Every day I get up in the morning believing there's so much to be done and so little that we've accomplished. That sounds a lot like Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Is he one of your uh, inspirational uh, leaders? Well, I think he's much better than I will ever be. And, um, you know, uh, now I don't really have inspirational leaders. I, you know, I, I, I'm not that way inclined. Uh, I'm very much inclined to deal with the people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, I really get inspired by colleagues that are in- entrepreneurial, innovative, dedicated. And uh, I don't really look at other leaders for innovation, uh, for uh, inspire, you know, to get inspired. A lot of people would like to emulate your success. What do you think you are doing that other people with actuarial talent go on to be actuaries and probably earn a lot of money, but they're not growing businesses like you are? What is different about the way you do things? Well, first of all, you know, to be able to say what is different is because I already know what they're doing. So I don't really know what they're doing. So it's hard for me to say what is different. Um, having said that, but what I can say is we're very hands-on. We pay attention to detail. Customers are very important to us. The welfare of our staff is very important to us. And uh, we we certainly, in terms of our work culture, we don't like dead wood as colleagues. We're very demanding. And um, we've built a great team. And without this team, I would have never been able to achieve what we've achieved up to date. Your international aspirations, a lot of business people from Africa really battle to succeed elsewhere in the world. How do you tackle this approach of scaling up globally? I think, first of all, when we went into outside South Africa, you know, we've been very successful, actually outside South Africa in the neighboring countries. And I went with some of my senior staff onto the ground and built tins. Uh, When we went to Europe, I went to Europe, I was spending a good nine months of the 12 months in Europe building the business. Uh, I've now come to live in Asia as my permanent residence since 2014. I don't think you can build a business if you haven't got key people outside. You can't use South Africa as the ivory tower to grow a business internationally. I think it's with huge difficulty. Uh, well, I certainly don't believe we could do it. And uh, the way we've done it is actually hands-on uh, travel, uh, get to know our teams on the ground, make sure we employ local talent, people that understand the culture. We we also very much localize our platforms, our technology. We localize our business, and uh, and we have very much a centralized uh, control system. That because we we're quite fortunate, we are technology company, we can from any you know we have our checks and balances and our controls in place remotely. Do you think that humility is a key part of success internationally? Uh, 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 if you can just ask that again. So a lot of South African business people are seen as arrogant or that they know best or they're telling local people how to do things. It sounds to me like you're actually spending a lot of time listening to what the locals are telling you and not assuming that you have all the answers. 
No, I think South Africans are, I don't believe South Africans are arrogant. I think South Africans are generally uh, very uh, uh, candid people. They're very hardworking. And fundamentally, I think there's a lot of great management in South Africa. I think where the problem goes wrong for a lot of the South African companies is they 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 think they can do it from an ivory tower. And I, I can assure you, it's very, well, we would never have been able to do it from an ivory tower. So I don't think it's the arrogance that's an issue. I don't actually perceive South Africans as being arrogant. Your name, Karoo, is a very interesting name. How did you hit on that? Well, it's, first of all, I am South African and I love the Karoo. So uh, when I externalized my shares in about approximately two years ago, I formed a company in Singapore called Karoo to hold my shares. Uh, when I was then looking at all this corporate action that we did, you know, and uh, uh, after that, uh, you know, we applied with all the relevant authorities, we, the only way we could have done this transaction is through me doing a buyback of the minority shareholders. At that point in time, uh, it was very important to get Karoo.com. And uh, the owner of Karoo.com just wouldn't give it to me at a, a reasonable price. He was asking for a million dollars. It's it's someone in America. At that point in time, we said, okay, does it really make a difference whether it's got Karoo with three zeros, four zeros, five zeros? It's just a name. And uh, we didn't want to do a name change. And so we, we went Karoo with five zeros and registered Karoo with three zeros to nine zeros.com. So all those domains belong to us, which allows uh, people to get our name wrong and still come to, to uh, still land up uh, at the right website. It looks also like you've got a bit of a quirky sense of humour. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a love of the arts. And, um, you know, so uh, not everything in life is logical. You learn that through management. And, um, you know, I think it's important that you, you do, you know, find solutions that sometimes are a little bit out of the box. Do you find yourself thinking about your business all the time? Are you obsessed with it? Um, well, I think fundamentally everybody's obsessed with something or another. And, uh, you know, people talk about a balanced life. I certainly believe I have got a balanced life. I work, I enjoy family, I enjoy friends, I, uh, I enjoy life. And uh, I could be working at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, but I could also be having, a, you know, a lunch at 10 o'clock in the morning. So for me, you just live and I wasn't designed to, at 5 o'clock you knock off and at 8 o'clock you get to work. So some days I'll get to work at 7 in the morning, other days I might get to work at 11 in the morning. So, you know, I just live and I enjoy every aspect of life. And work is obviously a big uh, driver and uh, I live uh, to improve the business and I enjoy doing it. Tell us a bit more about what's next for the business globally. What kind of new technologies do you have and how are you going to keep growing? We certainly have been growing, even under COVID, we grew our subscriber base by 16% in FY21. These are public numbers, you know, we're in a close period, so I can't talk about the numbers. But I certainly believe we've got a lot that we've innovated in terms of technology that we're currently releasing. Some of the stuff is in beta phase. And I certainly believe we'll continue to add value to all our subscribers. I think if you look at our subscribers, they were paying us 150 rand. 
uh, 15 years ago uh, and what they get for the same 150 rand today it's just probably 10 times more for 150 rand and today 150 rand is probably worth less than it's probably worth 75 rand effectively if you it depreciated over the last 15 years i haven't done the calculation so today 150 rand is very little money and what they what customers get so uh, for that uh, for that money and the amount of technology that we've developed and we intend accelerating our capital allocation to R&D and um, we believe we're doing the right thing for our sustainable future. Are you going to keep focusing on technology and cars and transport or are you going to diversify more? Can you elaborate on that? No, we want to focus on mobility. So the platform we, we search believe that um, it's very much our opinion and it's been this opinion for quite a few years. So any of the shareholders that have been following me, I continue telling the people the market penetrates because we believe 100% of all vehicles will be at some time. Given that hundred, uh, you know, hundred, we believe that hundred percent of vehicles will be connected. All the data that's collected will certainly drive all aspects of mobility into the future. And what we're developing is a platform that's very comprehensive in being able to give solutions to transporting, whether it's uh, uh, passengers or whether it's cargo, and uh, to optimize the whole distribution process of cargo. And that's what we're building, a platform that can basically, any business can get onto it and manage their workflows. And we've already got a lot of an our platform, but we still have quite a way to go uh, to meet the way I believe mobility will be in 10 to 20 years' time. And that's what we're building. We're building that platform for the future. How do you and your team develop your scenarios for the future? Do you have specific ways of identifying where the opportunities are? I think the first thing is we talk to our customers and we listen to our customers, but we don't drive our developments on the basis of customers. So, you know, we don't take a specific customer, listen to the customer, and then go and do a bespoke offering for the customer because he's got 2,000 vehicles. That's not the way we drive our innovation. We drive our innovation by listening to customers understanding what the needs are of consumers, small, medium, and large enterprises, and coming up with a solution that we believe we can aff- we can address mobility. And then it's on that basis that then we sit uh, with our R&D teams and come up with innovative ways to be able to be a, a leading company offering a platform that can deal with a multitude of different industries, different size customers with different types of vehicles, whether it's motorbikes or whether it's trucks that weigh 500 tons. So if you look at our customers, we've got, you know, our customers are very diverse in industries. They're very diverse in the type of vehicles, the uh, the usage of the vehicles. And we we just continue to develop to be, get better at what we do. We always find we're not good enough. There's so much to do still. Aren't you ready to retire now? Every day, uh, you know, you know, it's like everybody in life, everybody's got a good days and bad days. Some days I wish I was retired, but then one is addicted um, to working and you can only switch off for, you know, a certain amount of beer. Then, then you just want to get involved and, and enjoy it. And quite frankly, I enjoy it. So I probably will at some time or another. I believe I'll have to hand over the reins to somebody much younger than me and much better than me. 
And uh, I certainly believe that in our ranks, we've got a lot of really smart younger guys that are much smarter than I am that would probably do a better job. And at this point in time, you know, uh, I certainly believe there will come a time where I will be uh, uh, playing a different role in the business, but I, I intend to remain active. You mentioned you get rid of Deadwood. Would you describe yourself as a ruthless employer? You know, the word ruthless, it depends how, uh, how one describes ruthless. So when I say, we, you know, Deadwood, when we find somebody doesn't fit our culture or is not interested in the business, then, we, you know, there's clearly a, a, better, a better company suited for them to go work at, if that makes sense. But clearly, we're very compassionate. We have a lot of compassion for our staff. We're very understanding. We drive a tremendous amount of compassion, understanding of our staff. But we certainly don't allow people to come work for us and play politics all day long and be destructive and uh, uh, create the wrong groups. And we don't tolerate that type of thing. And it's, you know, that's what I call dead with which you start having people in businesses, sh- paper shuffling and hiding behind their screens and their computer, playing computer uh, computer games every day. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the companies that have that type of thing. So we don't really entertain that type of behavior. And now having said that, I certainly don't believe that makes us ruthless in any way. How do you actually hire people? Do you have specific, unique ways of doing that? Um, you know, recruiting is a very difficult, um, very difficult and very challenging way of, uh, you know, to grow a business. It's not. A, we certainly don't believe that we've got it right. Um, um, we certainly have great teams, but it takes. You know, we're getting better at it, but. Uh, we focus on, uh, you know, two or three people, uh, you know, doing the interviews. We've put a lot of focus on training. And it's it, it's it's difficult to get good people. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in South Africa, whether you're in Asia, whether you're in Europe. Uh, but we've, we've built a great team. We're over 3,000 employees at this point in time. Uh, I don't believe you can grow a business with 3,000 employees if you're not compassionate and understanding of everybody's needs and you've got to be remain extremely human uh, when dealing uh, with people if that makes any sense so but you know and without the people you're not you're not going to have a business so remaining uh, human is key and um, i'm not sure if i'm answering your question you are before we close off here you live in Singapore now. This must be a huge loss to the South African economy, the South African tax collectors. What made you decide to go to Singapore? Well, um, you know, we grow Asia, and like I said before, you cannot grow Asia from Johannesburg. If you want to grow Asia, you you've got to come to uh, to the area that you in Asia. And Singapore is certainly, in my opinion one of the best countries to grow Asia from. It's, you know, it's a well-governed country, easy to do business uh, from, very easy for us to grow quality talent. You know, in Singapore, it's very easy for us to bring in Asians, South Africans, Europeans, North Americans. Uh, They've got a very easy policy to bring in good human capital. And on that basis, we've been able to grow a really good team in Singapore. And uh, I like living here. And... uh, on that basis, uh, uh, you know, I see Singapore as a, a great country to, to get the talent that's needed to grow a, a global business. Having said that, you know, I, 
I believe I've added more to South Africa uh, being in Singapore uh, than I had been in Johannesburg. And if you look at our growth since we've been, you know, we we listed in 2014, uh, December 2014. In February 2014, in actual fact, so to give you an idea, 10 months before we listed on the JSC, I was already living in Singapore. So if you look at our performance in South Africa, uh, which is we had grown at around 22% year on year, if you look at that, and you, you know, I believe that I've contributed uh, to the employment in South Africa, I've contributed to the fiscus, and I think had I been in Johannesburg, maybe I wouldn't have contributed as much. It's been a great pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Jackie, I thank you very much. Listening to Singapore based vehicle telematics and software as a service entrepreneur Zach Callisto. I'm Jackie Cameron. Thanks for listening. Until next time.